0: every week the orange fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about syracuse athletics holy cow what a big time defensive play no holds barred i paid a fool it's the fizz Five. 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 five.
1: hello and welcome to another edition of fizz five my name is ethan frank joined today by Tyler and Tyler, first fizz five we're doing together, but it's a packed Friday here in Syracuse. What's going on with you?
0: I mean, I'm just excited with how much is going on the Hill today. You've got preparation for the football game tomorrow, a ranked soccer matchup, which I know we'll talk about. We've got the uh, field hockey team playing today, which was just featured on SportsCenter Top 10 a few days ago. It's an exciting time to be in Syracuse.
1: It's an exciting time to be an uh, an SU fan. That is certainly for sure with all the amount of things that are going on. Uh, Let's start. You mentioned football. That's topic number one. Number one. Syracuse taking on Western Michigan on Saturday, 3.30 kickoff in the JMA wireless dome. Of course, we'll always have your full coverage on Twitter at OrangeFizz with our Twitter spaces after the game, our post-game recaps on the OrangeFiz.com. Tyler, after watching the Colgate game, you were there um reporting for us in the dome. What was the Colgate game like and how does that translate to Western Michigan coming up tomorrow?
0: Look, there are a few good takeaways. There are also there's just you can't really take too much away from a game against an FCS team. The biggest aspect of the win over Colgate is you see that there's some depth at positions that maybe some people were worried about. The big question in the off season that felt like was who's going to be helping Aronde Gadsden out. And Damian, Al- Damian Alford just had what I like to call his first normal touchdown of his college career. He had four career touchdowns entering the Colgate game. All of them were over 45 yards. So he's just a big play guy. That's a good
1: stat. Here. I hadn't heard that stat before. That's a good number right there.
0: But now with a 13 yard touchdown, it's like, oh, look, he can make a normal touchdown play too. So Alfred could be great. Isaiah Jones had two touchdown receptions and last year he was a starter before his big injury. So you have a reliable pass catcher there. So in general, it just seems like there's more receivers other than just Gadston. And then specifically on the other side of the ball, the cornerback group looks really strong. The secondary as a whole, three starters left in the offseason, Garrett Williams, Jihad Carter, and Deuce Chestnut. But the replacement pieces look phenomenal in the secondary. So the skill position players on each side of the line of scrimmage looked really good against Colgate.
1: Let's start with the uh with the wide receivers. And and you look at Aronde Gatson, he'll be your lead guy. Damian Alford is probably pretty entrenched as that number two. You mentioned a guy like Isaiah Jones. He's he's more, you know, he can take you down the field, but he is a possession receiver. He's not gonna overwhelm you with uh, overwhelm you with athleticism, with speed, really good hands, just a really solid target. And then you get into guys like Donovan Brown, maybe a, a little quick shifty guy that could play in the slot potentially in this offense. I know Aronde Gatson likes to play in the slot, but Donovan Brown looks like your typical slot receiver, you know, for those of you who watched the Lions Chiefs game the other night, kind of reminds me of Amon Ross St Brown a little bit, the way he moves his body on those underneath routes to get open inside, uh, in the middle of the field. And then you know, someone like Umari Hatcher, who Dino Babers shouted out after the game because you know he changed his nightlife to change his day life, was uh, was Dino Babers' quote. Um, he played well uh, on top of that and and made some plays down the field, which is what you want to see from from your depth receivers. So that's really interesting. I personally still have some questions about the defensive backs, especially at cornerback. I know Isaiah Johnson got some good reps last year, but Jeremiah Wilson to me, I know he had a pick six against Colgate, but that was now, that doesn't do anything for me. I need to see Jeremiah Wilson uh, against a real team and against a team that is going to present more of a challenge at him because the better teams on Syracuse's schedule are going to target him because they know he's the inexperienced corner, the guy that hasn't gotten as many game reps, reps as someone like Isaiah Johnson. So I'm very interested to see how Jeremiah Wilson holds up as, as we continue to move throughout the season. And that starts on Saturday.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I, I wasn't just looking at the stats. I think there were some really good uh, good things to take away from in terms of Colgate receivers were not even getting a breath of air against the cornerbacks. Obviously Colgate receivers are not going the caliber that Syracuse will face later this year. So uh, Johnson will be interesting. Wilson will be interesting, but the safeties to back them up look very strong. I was very worried when Elijah Clark went out of the game with an injury, it looked like he was really shaken up. But then he came back in, recovered a fumble, and he was strong last year. So the safeties, maybe if the cornerbacks aren't as strong as maybe I think, maybe if they uh, are picked apart by opposing offenses, maybe the safeties are put in a situation where they really have to clean up and come in and do the dirty work on top of them.
1: Right. That's where the leadership is in this group. Jason Simmons, Justin Barron, Elijah Clark, as you mentioned, all players who played a, a considerable amount last season. I want to say Barron is a captain. I'm not sure if any of the other guys are, but I I believe Barron is. Mm -hmm. So you have leadership back there to back up those, you know, inexperienced cornerbacks who are going to be going against the likes of saw what Keon Coleman did to deuce chestnut against LSU the other night for Florida state. So there are some big time receivers uh, in the ACC and Syracuse is going to have to do a good job matching up against them looking at this Western Michigan game, Tyler, is there, you know, we talked about wide receivers. We talked about cornerbacks. Is there another position group on this roster you're looking for against Western Michigan uh, on Saturday?
0: The offensive line for Syracuse didn't play awful against Colgate, but there were a few guys in positions. They don't usually play. There were a few guys that sat out from injury that we weren't expecting. And you always knew that the offensive line was going to take a hit when Bergeron leaves for the NFL draft. Um, but just with the with Bleich's false starts, Bleich is a is a veteran offensive lineman. And so seeing some weird penalties early in the season, I'm not a big fan of that. I think the offensive line really needs to prove it the most out of any other position group against Western Michigan.
1: Agreed. I 100% agree. This needs to be a unit that shows some sort of improvement because you have this buffer in your schedule to build you up for those bigger games. and, And this is exactly what that is. This is a test. Okay. I, I said last week, you know, this is kind of, you know, Colgate was kind of like a syllabus test. Okay. Here comes quiz one and quiz one is the real deal against Western Michigan. And I know the spread Syracuse is a, a 20 plus point favorite, but they're not a 40 plus point favorite like they were against Colgate. So I'm really, really interested to watch the offensive line and how they play on Saturday against what is a step up in competition from the Raiders to the Broncos.
0: Yeah, no, it, it'll be great. And Western Michigan historically play Syracuse somewhat competitively. In 2018, it was a 55-42 game. In 2019, it was 52-33. So Western Michigan can put points up on Syracuse. It has in the past. Now, as of late, maybe not so much. Last year, Western Michigan was last in the MAC, averaged 19 points per game. So maybe this is a different Broncos team. But still, it's certainly a step up from an FCS competitor.
1: It definitely is. And with that, you know, Western Michigan is just the the second game of the season for Syracuse. A whole lot on the schedule coming up right here uh, with our second topic.
0: Number two.
1: Syracuse's schedule coming into this year, Tyler it seemed like, okay, you got this gauntlet of a three-game stretch at the beginning of October, and then you got you know some winnable games down the stretch after the bye week, but but three games away from the Dome, which we know that that Syracuse is not a good road team in, as, late, as the season g- goes on, and they're not a good team in November under Dino Babers. But you look at the schedule. Purdue kind of seemed like a toss-up before the season. That's a team that lost to Fresno State at home last week. Now you kind of feel like that's a game you should win. And with that, you, you'd you be undefeated in conference play 4-0 going into a game against Clemson, who got shellacked by Duke the other night. I mean, is Syracuse's... I think most people were at five, six, or seven wins coming into the season, anywhere in the five to seven range. Now, maybe have have your expectations changed of where how many games Syracuse can win?
0: I, I understand where people are coming from if their expectations have changed. I personally, my... my- My expectations have not changed. I think if you're looking at this schedule coming into the season, there are a lot of things that have not changed with Syracuse's opponents. You were always going to be going on the road to Purdue, and Purdue was always going to have a new coaching staff. I understand maybe the Fresno State means that they're more beatable, But from my perspective, that's a game that you should mark down as a key game that Syracuse should be winning anyways, with the new coaching staff in Purdue, with how not so great they looked towards the end of last season, with losing Aiden O'Connell at quarterback. That hasn't changed. And going down the stretch, Clemson, again, is still going to be a very difficult game. It's hard to expect Syracuse to beat Clemson just because Duke beat Clemson. So that game doesn't change in my mind. The only thing here that I'm seeing in terms of maybe expectations are shifting a little bit is that Syracuse won't have a screw-up game against a bad team. So against a Boston College late in the season or a Georgia Tech late in the season, Syracuse should be winning those handily. But when it comes to is Syracuse's ceiling any higher, I didn't see anything in week one to change my opinion on that.
1: Okay. I, I think that's a really interesting take. For me right now, I'd say I'd have five games penciled in as wins at this okay. point if, you, if you're taking Purdue as a win. So that's your four non conference games in Boston College. You mentioned Georgia Tech. I think Georgia Tech's kind of sneaky underrated. Like this could be a, a pesky team come the end of the season with a new coach and, and a whole new culture going on down in Atlanta. I, I, I could see Wake Forest being a winnable game, uh, your last game of the season at home, but like playing at Virginia Tech in a night game on a Thursday, like that is tough. Playing Pittsburgh, I understand it's a Yankee Stadium. You'll have support there. That's not like playing at home. Um, so, I, I it, who's to say on that? What those two, both those two games, and then Wake Forest is a good program. Dave Clawson is a really good coach, man. And I, I can't sit here and say I think that's going to be a win. Boston College, I, I think you know uh, Friday night the dome will be rocking in early November. I think that that's pretty safe to say that Syracuse will win that game. So I'd say I'm leaning ha, them having at least five wins. Will they get that sixth win? I would think so because I I have a hard I have a really hard time believing they'll go only one and four in that last five game stretch. But just like you said, I don't think the expectations and the ceiling has changed or, I don't think the expectations have changed, but I do think the ceiling is a little bit higher after week one. Now it shows that I think Clemson showed that they're definitely more beatable than maybe we thought coming into the season. Um, mean, Syracuse is a team that has always played Clemson pretty tight, especially the last two seasons. So can they do it again in front of a home crowd? Uh, Yeah, I definitely think they could. Will they? I don't know. We're going to find out to Clemson is definitely more talented than Syracuse is, but that's not everything as we saw against Duke.
0: Yeah, my, my prediction was six and six. I think my prediction will probably remain at six and six. Uh, my point, my whole point is like, I think the Purdue game, the Boston College game, the Army game, I think those might have solidified a little bit more in my mind, but beating Colgate 65 nothing doesn't really change my perspective on like the UNC game or the Florida state game. I'm even more convinced that's going to be a Seminoles win now after seeing how they beat down LSU. So uh, we'll see maybe the the Clemson one. I I, I'm very intrigued about. You're absolutely right with that. It's just unfortunate for, for Syracuse to maybe get such high expectations after beating up on a Colgate. Maybe it's a little bit unfair, but also, I'm not too worried about being unfair to Dino Babers. He's been here for seven years. He understands the expectations for himself every single year. So I'm not feeling bad too badly, but, just because he beat Colgate doesn't mean you should be expected to beat Clemson.
1: No. And I don't think it's about Colgate. I think it's more about what Syracuse's opponents looked like, not more about what Syracuse looked like. And and that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from is that I think before the season, maybe most people thought that Purdue was going to be win. I'm still skeptical about going and playing at a big 10 team on a Saturday night on national television. Like that is still very scary to me and why I would say I'm leaning Syracuse could win that is going to win that game but I wouldn't say I'm fully confident like I am that they're going to beat Boston College or like they're going to beat Army uh I would say I'm much more confident in them to 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 beat Purdue but I, I'm not chalking that up as any sort of cer- certainty I'd say there's very little chance they beat North Carolina on the road very little chance they beat Florida State on the road it's just how those last five games are going to go it's if are you one, Do you end up going 1 for do you go to three. Can you get, can you get to a three and two in that stretch and maybe go over 500? And and then maybe you're looking at seven wins again, like you were last year, you know, last season, a lot had to break right for Syracuse to get to seven and five, uh, Purdue basically hand wrapped that game and, and tied it up with a bow, uh, and gave it to them for a win. NC state was playing with a backup quarterback in that game, uh, that Syracuse ended up winning to get to their sixth win. Syracuse easily could have been only four and two after their first six games easily. Um, but sometimes things break your way and we'll see if things continue to break Syracuse's way in 2023.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The Virginia win last year as well sticks out in my mind as a game that could have gone the other way. So maybe it was three and three to start the year in 2022 if things break differently. Uh, But you got to hope for some luck if you're Syracuse. Maybe you get a fluke win on the road, but bowl game is the expectation and it looks like bowl game will be pretty close to
1: where they, they end up. Absolutely. Let's uh let's shift to basketball as we continue on.
0: Number 3.
1: Some news about uh, one of Syracuse's recruits in the class of 2024, Elijah Moore. He is transferring high schools. He will uh, will will now attend our Savior Lutheran School, which is in the Bronx. And instead of after spending the last three years at Cardinal Hayes High School in the Bronx. So this is interesting because uh, uh, our Savior Lutheran High School is part of the overtime elite program, which is another way for, for high school and college athletes to make some money either – when they're in college and then you, you don't go to college, you go straight from overtime elite like uh Amin and Asur Thompson did, who were top five picks in the NBA draft this past year. Or you just do it throughout high school to get that competition before going to college. You don't give up your eligibility by getting paid by the program. So the deal with Elijah Moore, uh, according to a story from Mike Waters at Syracuse.com, is that he's going to this new school, our Savior Lutheran, um, He will be getting a scholarship to go there, but he is not going to be getting paid professionally to play basketball as part of the overtime uh, elite league and players are reportedly paid around a hundred thousand dollars. So he'll be getting a scholarship, but he will not be being paid a salary. What do you make of this move from Elijah Moore to transfer schools and how does it better prepare him for next season when he's a freshman at Syracuse?
0: So obviously the, the great answer is he's going to be playing against even tougher competition will be more battle tested coming into Syracuse. And also maybe I'm reading too much into this, but the ability to earn a scholarship and also in uh, overtime elite, you can start using uh, utilizing NIL. So then you're in a situation where he's maximizing his financial earnings in high school before he gets to Syracuse, because we don't know what SU has in terms of, offering nil or making nil available to its college players and it i would i'd be lying if i said there wasn't a part of the back of my mind that said who knows if these players are actually going to come to syracuse they could decommit they could transfer really early they could refuse to play and so this just seems like more insurance that he's going to be making money in high school he's going to be getting extra scholarships and he might not have a desire or need to look elsewhere if something goes wrong at Syracuse.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to put it, and that this is this is a test for Elijah Moore. It's 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 you know the next step up from playing. You know, Cardinal Hayes is a, a very talented high school and a place where a lot of future college players and a lot of future pros have gone through. But this overtime elite league is is a place where you see where guys go because they are a part of overtime elite and the preparation it gets you for college and the preparation it gets you for the pros. And if you're Syracuse and you're Adrian Autry, you're like, okay, I love to see Elijah Moore. Or testing himself, I would be pretty shocked if Adrian Autry and his staff weren't consulted on this move before it was done. Um, as the coach who who is going to be entrusted to developing Elijah Moore over over his college career, however long uh, that may be, but I think this is a move that Syracuse's staff would sign off on and and be be happy about because they're going to get a player that is that is more trained to be playing high school basketball, not to mention Donnie Freeman as well, who's going over to IMG. We know the path line at IMG. You think of Benny Williams, Justin Taylor, Quater Copeland. Those are just guys on the roster who went to IMG. You think of these academies, these leagues, like Judah Minset at, at Oak Hill. Oak Hill is a place where where many Syracuse players have come from before and it's worked out. These prep schools, these academies, these leagues are really, really helpful for high school players on top of the AAU circuit they play already.
0: They're super helpful. And I think you got to give a lot of credit to Coach Autry because one, some of these players that Syracuse is finally bringing in in the next year or so weren't initially recruited solely by Autry. They were recruited under the Beheim regime and they haven't left. So keeping those players in the Syracuse recruiting pipeline is phenomenal. And number two, you're seeing with players like Moore, you're seeing with players like Freeman that the uh, there's an ability from uh, Autry to expand his recruiting prowess. He's not just a D.C. recruiter. He can recruit from New York City. He can recruit from other areas. And that is a huge benefit for Syracuse going forward is solidifying other regions outside of what we already knew was Autry's strong suit.
1: Right. You think about a region like Philadelphia, that's somewhere that really hasn't been touched. If you're Syracuse since Mike Hopkins left for Washington, what is that six, seven years ago at, at this point, and it's been a long time since you think of the really good Syracuse teams in the late 2000s, early 2010s is all the players on those teams were guys from up and down the East Coast, a guy like Rakeem Christmas, guys like Scoop Jardine and and Brandon Trish and CJ Fair and Jeremy Grant and Michael Carter-Williams. Those are all East Coast guys right there from those big hub areas of the DMV of outside of Philly and outside of Philly and of New York City and those are the areas you need to tap in and when you see with two top 60 recruits according to 24-7 sports from two of those areas right now, it's nothing but encouraging.
0: Absolutely. And if you want to expand that even further, historically, Syracuse has recruited super well from the Syracuse area. You had Brandon Trish, who came from James Old DeWitt High School. You also had Daywan Coleman from James Old DeWitt High School, Andy Routins from that same school. And while you're not going back to JD, you do pull in a transfer, J.J. Starling, who grew up in Baldwinsville, just out of the city. And so you didn't recruit him from high school, but you're still pulling back players from the central New York area as well, which is great for the team basketball-wise, but also cultural-wise, getting that tie-in
1: from the local area. Syracuse basketball recruiting should pick up steam here. they will have some visits coming in, in a few weeks, and I'm sure they'll be documented here on the Fizz. All right, let's keep moving things along on to number four here on Fizz 5. Number four, Syracuse men's soccer still has not been beaten uh, so far this season in 2023 as they look to defend their national championship three oh and one after a draw at Penn State last Friday, a one 0 win over U Albany on Monday at SU soccer stadium and then a top 10 matchup tonight number four Syracuse number seven Louisville at 8pm tonight on the ACC network you can watch that, uh, uh, is where you can watch that matchup. What uh what are your takes on, on Ian McIntyre's squad, Tyler, uh here in 2023 after a national championship in 2022?
0: It just seems like there was some disrespect for Syracuse coming into this season with all the transfers, and people were just waiting for an excuse to move Syracuse down in the rankings. It seems like a team that is undefeated should probably keep the top spot until it loses. But no, Syracuse draws mainly because of a red card against Penn State and then looks mediocre in a win over Albany. And all of a sudden, the Orange moved down from one to four. Um, But there's a lot of talent with this Syracuse team, and they brought a lot of talent in. So it's a little concerning to see the, the ranking drop so early, but the defense has looked phenomenal for Syracuse so far, allowed one goal, through the previous four games and it came playing down a man to Penn state. So that's not overly concerning. I think the defense has looked great. Plus you're getting your starting goalie back tonight against Louisville.
1: Yeah, this is what's, I mean, that red card against Penn state was absurd. Uh, it, It was a, And then you still end up managing a draw after that. Ian McIntyre, this guy deserves so much freaking credit for for what he's doing with this program and how you mentioned the transfers and just the player development that goes on with this team. Uh, They deserve all the love they get because there is not a harder working man on campus than Ian McIntyre. He does an interview mid-match every single game. Like like he doesn't have to do that. What other coach would do that? Would they put a headset on Dino Babers and have him talk for 90 seconds in the middle of a game? Absolutely not. They would not. But Ian McIntyre, he's so personable. He's so good with the media. He's so good with the fans. So appreciative. He's kind of like Sean Tucker light on Twitter with his tweets after <laughs> every single game. I, I, I'm going to need to pull one up to, a, a, and read it aloud because this is a special coach. And I'm sure he's had opportunities to move elsewhere, to move back to to his uh, his home country of England. But he's been here for decades now, and, and he loves it uh, more than anyone else. Like he, he here he quote tweeted the uh, the tweet from the official Syracuse men's soccer account uh, with the news of the game on Friday, he said, This will be a lot of fun as we kick off our ACC schedule against a terrific Louisville team. Looking forward to seeing everyone at 8 p.m. Our wonderful uh, Syracuse men's soccer fans are making the SU soccer stadium a very special place to watch and play a game. I mean, like this guy is just awesome. He gets it. And that's what matters to me.
0: He absolutely gets it. I mean, I remember seeing videos of him at two in the morning after winning the national championship, flying home that same night, and talking to fans and doing interviews until everybody that wanted to talk to him got to talk to him. So he, he clearly cares about the area, and it's that's just so cool for a sport like soccer to be popular in Syracuse. Because, I mean, I, I grew up around here, and soccer has not historically been a super popular sport. But now with the local college winning the national championship and having a personality that loves to bring in fans and encourages people to support the team, it's it's great.
1: It's awesome. The Orange and Louisville, number four versus number seven, a top ten ACC matchup. The Orange have more top ten matchups coming up on their schedule. Play at number nine, Wake Forest. That is a week from Saturday. Number ten, Duke, uh, in a couple weeks as well. ACC, not an easy conference when when it comes to soccer. And we'll see how the Orange are able to progress through this season. All right, one more here to hit on Fizz Five. Number five. Predictions and keys to tomorrow's Syracuse football game against Western Michigan. Let me pull up the official line right now. I know we have our predictions out on the So Tyler, I'll turn it over to you. What, what are you looking for tomorrow?
0: The biggest thing I'm looking for tomorrow is continuing to feed the ball to Aronde Gadsden to get a better idea of how healthy he is because in week one against Colgate, There were several times where he caught the ball and hit the floor immediately. It looked like he was trying to avoid tackles, avoid contact. He was limping at times. There was some talk that he was seen in a boot before last week's game, and then the story kind of fizzled out. No communication from Dino Babers on what his injury is. And Aranda Gadsden is the key to wins throughout the season for Syracuse. So if he comes up into this Western Michigan game and still doesn't look healthy, that's a very big concern for me, and that's the key to the game.
1: I'm abs- I would absolutely be concerned about it as well. I'm trying to find my official score prediction. Uh, I said Syracuse 38, Western Michigan 14. So that'd be a 24 point win for the orange and the orange are currently favored by, by 24 and a half points. So kind of, you know, straddling that line right now, but this is a Western Michigan team. You mentioned it earlier that they're in kind of a rebuild. And and now under Lance Taylor, we'll see what, what he can get out of this group. The former, I want to say offensive coordinator at, at Louisville uh, is Lance Taylor. How, is he going to galvanize this group to be able to go into the domain, raucous atmosphere, which he admitted was intimidating for Louisville in week one last season. How is he going to have the Broncos ready to play against the orange? I think they'll be ready to play. I just Syracuse is too talented. Another thing I'm watching, how much are these guys going to play? Is, is Syracuse going, are Syracuse's starters going to get into the fourth quarter this week Uh against Colgate? It was, it was halftime, maybe one drive into the third quarter and then they were out uh for the most part. How many quarters is Syracuse's starters going to play? Is it going to be three quarters? Is it going to be into the fourth quarter? Is it going to be the same as last week where it's only about a half? If I'm Tino Babers, I kind of want my guys to play three quarters so that their stamina keeps building up, or you don't want this game to be close, but you want your guys to be ready to face Purdue next week. So it's kind of a a difficult balance of, of how much is Syracuse going to play I, I think, you know, anywhere in that 24 to 27 point range is is a good score prediction because this is not the Western Michigan Syracuse faced in 2018 and 2019. Not a team that's that's performing well in the MAC Like you mentioned, Tyler, I know there's not a bigger fan of action than you, but but this is not the same Broncos team and Syracuse should win this game handily. How much are the starters going to play? I'm interested to watch and find out.
0: The the starters question is interesting. Babers has been asked that about the Western Michigan game about the Colgate game. And he's very clear that he doesn't ha- go into the game with a set time. He doesn't say halftime or the third quarter. It seems as though when he feels the game is out of hand for the other team, that's when he starts to pull the starters. However, if the game is out of hand at halftime, I'm with you on this. Syracuse should continue playing its starters throughout the third quarter. Ideally, because then the next week you go on the road to a Purdue team where you're not going to be pulling your starters the entire game. So ideally three quarters you get out of the starting unit. Um, But when Babers wants them out, he will take them out uh, unless something crazy happens. Uh, Garrett Schrader after the Colgate game said that he had to basically beg the coaching staff to let him play the first drive of the third quarter because he wanted to correct the interception that happened right before halftime. So, other than a situation like that where a player really wants to play, if Babers says the game is out of hand, it looks like he's shown they'll he'll take the starters out.
1: What? Uh, who, okay. Before we before we wrap things up, one player tomorrow who you think is going to have a major impact that might not be on people's radar.
0: Uh, I I think I Daniels will still get a little bit of run tomorrow. Obviously, when you start playing Power Five opponents, it's going to be the LaQuint show. But especially with running backs, there's only so much you can play them before injury becomes a concern. I think Syracuse saw last year uh, with bumps and bruises to Sean Tucker that having a workhorse can really hurt. So Daniels, who won ACC Offensive Rookie of the Week, looked phenomenal against Colgate. I think there's definitely a, a desire to develop him even more. So Ike Daniels might score a touchdown or two tomorrow late in the game, depending on when the starters come out.
1: I like that. You didn't think we were going to go a whole podcast without me shouting out my guy, Kendall Long, did you? Oh, I I knew it was coming. I need to see some Kendall Long in the second half tomorrow. He's a key contributor on special teams. Had that very nice screen pass he took to the house against Colgate last week. Want to see something more about from Kendall Long in a a step up in competition. All right, that will do it for this edition of Fizz 5. Make sure to check out all our work on theorangefizz.com. Content coming out every single day for you regarding Syracuse football, Syracuse basketball, recruiting, ACC realignment. We know that's been a hot topic recently. And then and check out our Twitter as well at OrangeFizz on Twitter. Live tweets tomorrow during the game or that would be Saturday during the game and then our Twitter spaces as well. And if you don't hear it live, you can always find it on our website as well. The com. All right. That'll do it. I'm Ethan. That's Tyler. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen
0: next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.